Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Megan Kelly, welcome to the Megan Kelly Show. Potentially explosive news breaking overnight by the New York Post's Miranda Devine related to the corruption investigation into Hunter and Joe Biden. The Post dropping a 14 minute video obtained uh, by Miranda, by their reporters, and it was made by a man named Dr. Gal Luft. According to the Post, Luft is an Israeli professor and a former Israeli army officer who was working with the Chinese energy company CEFC at the same time of the CEFC's dealings with the Biden family. All right. So this guy's working with this Chinese company at the same time the Chinese company is in tight with certain members of the Biden family. So he knows information. He knows about the CEFC's relationship with the Bidens. According to the Post, Luft is someone with deep Washington ties, who was apparently well-respected here in the States. He once ran the Institute for the Analysis of Global Security. For a long time, he ran that uh, with former CIA director James Woolsey as one of his top advisors, not to mention some other very formal, uh, very well-respected former government types. And remember the witness, do you remember this a month or so ago when House Oversight, uh, run by James Comer, Congressman James Comer, was talking about a a whistleblower who was providing information about the Bidens and their alleged corruption, who suddenly went missing. This is apparently that missing witness, Luft, this guy, Gal Luft, this Israeli professor from this think tank. All right. So now he's come forward. He's on videotape and he is spilling in large part what it is he wanted us to know. And he explains why he's not doing it in front of Congress, though he clearly would like to. The video was filmed from an undisclosed location because Luft says he is on the run. He says he may be on the run for the rest of his life. Luft says that he was arrested in Cyprus in February. He says he believes he was arrested, our DOJ is after him, to stop him from testifying before James Comer's House Oversight Committee about the Bidens. So he got arrested in February. Apparently, he posted bail, but he went on the run. He jumped bail and he's been a fugitive since April. Remember, Comer said the whistleblower's missing. He said that uh, Maria Bartiromo. Well, now he's resurfaced. And the U.S. government is telling a very different story from the one we're hearing from this guy, Luft. The U.S. government says this guy's a criminal. Luft denies it. The U.S. government says Luft is an arms dealer and that they want him extradited to America to face charges of conspiring to sell Chinese weapons to Kenya 
and several other countries. He denies all of that. He says that's that's just an attempt to smear him so that we will not listen to him and he will lose credibility in his allegations against the Bidens. Our DOJ is accusing this guy of, in addition to the alleged arms dealing, violating the Foreign Agents Registration Act, better known as FARA. So as you can see, each side has very different versions of what's happening here. But let's get to Luff's extraordinary video. This is the first look the world has had of this guy at him. First, here he is detailing why he says he's coming forward. For the past 20 years, I have been the co-director of the Institute for the Analysis of Global Security, a Washington-based think tank focused on energy security. I was senior advisor to the China energy company CFC at the same time of its dealings with the Biden family. I want to be clear. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I have no political motive or agenda. I did it out of deep concern that if the Bidens were to come to power, the country would be facing the same traumatic Russia collusion scandal, only this time with China. The DOJ sent to Brussels a delegation of six uh, people. They knew very well that I'm a credible uh, witness. Okay, so he's had former contact with the DOJ. They sent a bunch of FBI agents out there to go visit him under the Trump DOJ in 2019. And we're going to get into the specific allegations left is making because it's confusing. But we're going to walk you through it so you come to understand it again. This is based on The New York Post and Miranda Devine's reporting. Luft, in addition to this tape that he just dropped, Luft says he was going to testify that the Biden family received payments from individuals with alleged ties to Chinese military intelligence. That Chinese military intelligence officials were funneling money to Hunter Biden, to Jim Biden, that's Joe's brother, and also that the Biden family had an FBI mole who shared classified information with certain individuals at the CEFC. Okay, so the Bidens had somebody inside the FBI who was giving information to this Chinese company that would benefit um, this Chinese company. That's an extraordinary allegation. But there's there's an FBI mole, a former FBI guy or current FBI guy sharing information with the Chinese because they're connected with the Bidens, because the Bidens are asking them to do it. He describes a secret meeting in Brussels, March 2019. Again, this is under the Trump administration in which he claims that he disclosed to a variety of agencies that CEFC, this Chinese company, was paying Hunter and Uncle Jim a ton of dough, $100,000 a month to Hunter, $65,000 a month to his Uncle Jim in exchange for their FBI connections. This is the Chinese wanting some FBI connections via the Bidens and also the use of the Biden name to promote China's Belt and Road Initiative around the world. He says this money didn't go directly to Jim and Hunter, but it went to them through a Biden family associate named Rob Walker. According to Luft, the DOJ, when he asked to meet with them back in uh, 2019, sent a delegation of six people. That's a lot to meet with him in Brussels. Four FBI agents, including he names names, Special Agent Joshua Wilson of the Baltimore field office. Now, why? Do we mention him? Because Joshua Wilson of the Baltimore field office was not only meeting allegedly with 
Luft in Brussels in 2019. He was the guy who would later handle the Hunter Biden laptop case. I mean, it's all a very close circle of people. It would make sense if the DOJ had this guy on the subject of Hunter looking into allegations that Luft was making about Hunter's alleged corruption, that when the laptop surfaced, which had a lot of evidence of alleged Hunter corruption on it, they would send the same guy. I mean, that just makes sense from a case management perspective. Also among the six were two prosecutors from the Southern District of New York. Now, at this meeting in Brussels, Luft says, in addition to laying out that payment scheme, 100 grand a month to Hunter, the 65,000 to Uncle Jim, that he made another extraordinary revelation about the existence of, this is straight out of a movie, quote, one eye, the mole that Hunter allegedly had inside the FBI. Over an intensive two-day meeting, I shared my information about the Biden family's financial transactions with CFC, including specific dollar figures. But perhaps the most alarming information I revealed was of a mole within the DOJ who shared classified information with Hunter Biden and his Chinese partners. I told the DOJ that Hunter was closely associated with a very senior retired FBI official who had distinct physical characteristics. He had one eye. The FBI knew about, uh, from me, about the Biden CFC deals before they got hold of the laptop, way before. Over the past four years that followed, me, my family, my friends, my associates, we were all harassed, intimidated, and finally, I was prosecuted. Who is this one eye at the FBI? Well, there's plenty of speculation online. There's a very well-known person at the FBI who only has one eye, former director. But we're going to wait for more information to come out. We have no idea um, who specifically may be inside the FBI with just one eye, um, former or current. Now, Luft is challenging the FBI and the DOJ to release the evidence they have against him. Why would the DOJ make my indictment public? Do it. Make my day. Put it on your website so that every American can see the nature of the allegations against me, the quality of the evidence, and the length the government is willing to go to weaponize the justice system to punish whistleblowers like me. Submit to Congress the minutes from the Brussels meeting. Let everybody see what happened in Brussels. And why did the DOJ choose to unseal to the, the indictment on November 1st, 2022, the very same week of the midterm elections? Could this have anything to do with the fact or the fear that once Republicans gain control over Congress and begin to investigate, their cover-up would be in full display? And perhaps the biggest question of all, Why am I being indicted for FARA when the mother of all FARA cases, the Biden's systemic influence peddling on behalf of foreign governments for which they raked millions, goes unpunished? Hmm. Joining us now to talk about this and more, happy to welcome back to the show Charlie Kirk, founder and CEO of Turning Point USA and host of The Charlie Kirk Show. I mean, this is just extraordinary. And I've got to give a tip of the hat to Miranda Devine, who's been breaking news on this. She's been the person breaking all this news for months now. 
But this is the first mm -hmm. we've seen of the actual guy uh, putting a name out there, putting his face out there, his voice on camera, admitting he's a fugitive from just my God, Charlie. I mean, what do you, what do you make of this extraordinary story? Well, first of all, just still putting all this together, it, it's a little confusing for people that do this for a living. Even if you, do, you have to Very. dive into all this, first of all, I think it's I think it's really noteworthy. You have thirty five thousand people that work for the FBI, and the same ten agents keep on popping up. The same ten people that are handling all the cases it reminds me of Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, and the same sort of cast of characters we saw five or six years ago. Where are these people investigating crimes, or are they covering up crimes? But I think the timeline here is one of the most important pieces of information that I want to focus on, which remember, Joe Biden was not supposed to be the Democrat candidate. In fact, he finished fifth in Iowa and fourth in New Hampshire. He was an afterthought. And Bernie Sanders, however, was ascending. Remember, this was right before the COVID hysteria. And in almost an overnight panic, they reset the Democrat primary and they basically anointed Joe Biden. They got him Clyburn's endorsement. And the whole country shut down and Joe Biden just kind of glided to the nomination by mistake. And you look at this, you look at this, um, these allegations from Dr. Luft, the, the, the timing here in 2019, he was sharing all this with the FBI. He was sharing this with the Department of Justice. Nobody actually thought Joe Biden was eventually going to become the nominee or become president. And now there's this extraordinary pattern of not just foreign corruption, but possibly some other very heavy you know, serious federal crimes that might have been violated here. We're talking about millions of dollars that were funneled to this family routinely year after year. And what is very clear now is the people in Washington, D.C., Department of Justice and the FBI, they're actively involved and in not just covering this up, but trying to spin this in a way to try to de-emphasize what was in a panic to implement Joe Biden as the nominee of the Democrat primary in 2020, because if you remember, Donald Trump looked unbeatable. The economy was roaring. The country was in a really strong and stable place. COVID came, locked down the country, and they just said, oh, this Biden guy, I guess, can help us out. But they said that they had to swallow the pill metaphorically and say, I guess there's all this corruption stuff. I don't even think they realized how bad this actually was. And we're not even talking about the active interference on behalf of Joe Biden with his, his son, Hunter, when it comes to the IRS whistleblower case, this is a whole new development. And I, I wanna also emphasize one other thing, which is if Dr. Luft is telling the truth with the CEFC, this means that the Department of Justice has been sitting on this information for three and a half to four years. And mm -hmm. they have the wherewithal to indict him for Foreign Agent Representation Act violations, a 1930s era law that is trying to be used for representing foreign governments. When Hunter himself, we have him sending text messages to foreign nationals to say, hey, if you don't send me money or send us money, I'm sitting here with my father and boom, within 48 hours, he gets a $5 million wire transfer. Miranda Devine deserves great credit. This is very confusing in some sense, but the pattern is very clear that Joe Biden was never supposed to be president, and now he is. And this, this record, this pattern of corruption is unlike anything we've ever seen as a, from a president of the United States. It, it is. That's absolutely true. It, it is incredibly confusing. But at its base, what this guy is alleging is that before Joe Biden had even announced his run for the presidency, he was in contact with our DOJ saying, you need to be mm -hmm. aware that your former vice president, his brother and his son 
are involved in a corrupt scheme with the Chinese. I am going to tell you this. I, who have been in partnership with a former CIA director in my think tank in Washington, you know me, you know I'm a trustworthy guy. I want you to know this guy's been compromised. His family's been compromised. And you should look into it. And that nothing ever came at the meeting. And this is under the Trump DOJ. Yes, that that should be noted, though. You've got career civil servants in the in the DOJ who are not mm-hmm. loyal to Trump, who, you know, we I, I'm not sure who was involved in this or what their politics were specifically, but just a point of caution um, and nothing ever comes of it. And then the next thing this guy knows, he says he asked his lawyer, this guy uh, who we just listened to Luft says to his lawyer in 2020, right around the time the laptop was discovered have a meeting with them, reach out to the FBI again. Like, what's going on? It's been this time. They haven't done anything. And um, nothing ever came of that meeting either. The next thing he knows, he says he gets arrested and, and accused of being an arms dealer. Now, I will say an alternate reality could be this guy knew he was in some sort of trouble, that they were sniffing around him. And he decided to make himself look like a whistleblower and sort of set himself right. up to say, oh, look, I'm being unfairly targeted. That is very possible. Um, And we just don't know because he's on the lam now, Charlie. Comer hasn't been able to get him in there. I don't think this Biden DOJ is going to do much to actually track him down. And if they do, are we really going to get a fair hearing? Is I mean, he's got a legitimate point that in a New York courtroom where, you know, he's already pointing to other cases where they weren't even allowed to mention the Biden family name is like the reason they're being prosecuted. He's not going to be able to mention any of this stuff. No, that's exactly right. And but by the way, all the media is focused on right now is that Donald Trump had documents in boxes. Right. I mean, they, yeah. it, it you wonder why half the country has this volcanic resentment towards Washington, D.C., is they see their candidate of preferred choice that they ideologically align with Donald Trump under 45 to 50 count indictments. Meanwhile, this evidence just keeps on mounting and mounting and mounting. And we don't even know the extent of all these different deals. Remember, there's like five or six different allegations that are happening yes. that have a little bit of a rhythm to them, which is the Bidens didn't offer any service except their access and proximity. And Megan, when you read out the allegation from Dr. Luft, it's important. This is a new wrinkle that they were auctioning off basically access to FBI agents. That's new. That they kind of have a, a not just informants in the FBI. They were kind of saying a wink and a nod, like, "Hey, uh, if you want preferential treatment, you got to put us on retainer, a hundred thousand dollars a month, and we can make sure we can navigate the FBI for you." It makes you wonder when Joe Biden was Vice President of the United States, was he setting up pieces of the government to be auctioned off at a future date and time to be able to be monetized by his son? It really makes you wonder what they were doing those last couple of months of the Obama presidency in 2015 and 16 before they left office, they were probably putting people in loyal soldiers, loyal infantrymen of the Biden family so that they could then go to foreign adversaries and say, hey, you know, we can help you, but it's going to pay. This is the way that third world governments operate, by the way. And it's not even a joke. I mean, if you land in a third world country, you know, it's just pay for play, right? From the moment that you land, it's who you know, how you know them, you have to just kind of grease the wheels and you keep on going. This is exactly how the Bidens set up their family enrichment scheme. And this does not even touch the surface of the active covering up that is going on right now with the IRS whistleblower case, what was Merrick Garland's involvement, the Weiss's involvement or not involvement, was he taking orders? 
And so it really makes you wonder, is there going to be a breaking point to all this? That, that remains to be seen, but it doesn't help the case that this Department of Justice is going after the opposition candidate, the leading opposition candidate and former president with such ferocity while completely ignoring the now repeated pattern of crimes of the incumbent president. It's, it's truly stunning. But I mean, look, I, I want to put it out there that there is a former FDI, FBI director who's close with the Bidens, who's made donations to the Bidens and otherwise named Louis Free. But he was mm -hmm. out of office as of 2001, I believe, and would not have been at the FBI at the time that these CEFC people were looking for information. And some have been indicted and actually convicted over here. He, he was not inside the FBI. So just to I don't know what that means or doesn't mean. And just just so the audience understands, um, it doesn't mean he didn't still have connections there. It doesn't mean he might not have been helping anybody. We just don't know. I'm just trying to address some of the speculation here. The problem I have is that the media is going to ignore this story. Miranda reported a lot of this a couple of months ago. She had clearly, I think, been in touch with this Dr. Yes. Luft or somebody near him and was breaking this news. And it's been utterly ignored. The only thing that's really new now is the allegations about one eye inside the FBI and more explicitly and the video um, of the guy directly saying he's being persecuted. He's been arrested. He's or he's been, you know, he, and now he's on the run permanently uh, and identifying himself as Comer's whistleblower who's gone dark. And we don't know whether Comer will ever speak to him or, or not. And if he doesn't, this goes nowhere. I mean, if, if he doesn't actually come in and give testimony, it's not going to go anywhere. Um, which is really unfortunate because, you know, this this would be a huge story, Charlie, if it, if the guy being <sighs> accused was named Donald Trump. This is like an well, actual yeah. witness making actual allegations, not just FBI agents making shit up like we saw in the in the Trump case. Yeah. And, and th this is an existential question of do we still have some form of justice? And, you know, I'm asked by reporters all the time, Megan, I was just talking to one from The Washington Post recently. They said, well, why do Trump voters not trust the government and Department of Justice, like they were super curious as if they were investigating a question they couldn't find an answer to. I'm like, oh, really? How about this? They used the instruments of government for multiple years, crossfire hurricane, we're not going to let him become president, the fake Russia hoax, Bob Mueller, for years to disrupt and thwart a duly elected president, all the while to cover up and ignore the outright crimes of an entire Democrat crime syndicate, whether it be destroying evidence of Hillary Clinton, foreign influence peddling, peddling of the Bidens, pick your crime, any crime. And then they have to see their candidate that they have an attachment to be arraigned, not just in New York by the federal government and probably more charges looming. Yeah, there's, there's going to be a sense of mass injustice. And so, Megan, I'm not here to try to say, yeah, you know, I want to see the Biden family, quote unquote, suffer. I mean, I have I would love to see justice be administered, but this is so deeply damaging to the nation if they don't have any sort of criminal penalty for what they've done. And I don't think the Democrats have really thought through what this means. I don't think they really care. I just think they hate half the country so much. They have such contempt for them that the ends justify the means to such a severe extent. But the amount of cynicism, Megan, that I am getting from the Republican base, understandable, by the way, I'm right there with them, towards our federal Department of Justice, towards the FBI, towards just the regime of Washington, D.C., I, I don't see any way to remedy this at all, mm -hmm. because it's, it doesn't just feel like it, it is this way, that if you have a certain form of politics, 
And if you have certain views that do not align in perfect harmony with the Uniparty of Washington, D.C., then you better lawyer up because there's a 50-50 chance you're going to jail for the rest of your life. Whether your name is Dinesh D'Souza, Steve Bain. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. You, I was correct. just adding, they'll, they'll absolutely ruin you. And if they can't ruin you criminally, um, then they'll censor you. They'll get you shut down. They get you deplatformed. Yes, that's right. They'll, they'll find a way of silencing you, whether it's behind bars or behind some censorship wall, which we'll get to in one second. I want to point out one thing. We've mentioned Hunter Biden. We've mentioned mentioned Jim Biden. That's problematic enough that I mean, these are the, his closest family members around him potentially compromised. But the whistleblower here, Dr. Luft, is alleging that Joe Biden himself attended a meeting shortly after his vice presidential term ended at the Four Seasons Hotel in Washington, D.C., with his son, Hunter, and with officials from CEFC, that Joe Biden himself, who said he never did business or even discussed business with his son, Hunter, uh, what, his, what the Hunter was doing, that he was there, that Hunter was there, and that CEFC officials were there. The New York Post uh, reports that that allegation by Dr. Luft was, quote, corroborated when the FBI interviewed another attendee, Biden family associate Rob Walker. So the FBI went on to interview Rob Walker. That's the one through whom the the payments were allegedly made, the hundred thousand a month to Hunter, the sixty five thousand to Jim after this meeting. And the FBI did interview this guy, Rob Walker, uh, who apparently told the FBI it's true. Joe Biden sat there with Hunter Biden, with CEFC officials, and they had this discussion. So it, that all needs to be looked into. I'm not saying I don't know whether it's true or it's not true, but that's that all needs to be looked into because now you're talking about Joe Biden himself sitting there cutting this deal. Yes. It's not just the corrupt son and brother. Well, and right now there are top level meetings happening in Beijing between Biden officials in China talking about, you know, debt deals and trade negotiations. You have to wonder, is there a part of the Biden administration's calculus or Joe Biden himself where he feels he has a debt to pay. Is current United States foreign policy or trade policy being impacted by these deals that were struck at the Four Seasons? I don't know, but based on this pattern of outright corruption and wire transfers and Hunter Biden just demanding payments from Chinese Communist Party officials saying, hey, you better pay me. I'm sitting next to my father. This is the highest of all the allegations that really concern me or the serious, most seriousness, the heaviest of all of them, which is, OK, you sell out for access to the government. That's nothing new. It's really damaging and awful. But is current policy being impacted? Are there current deals that are being administered or being struck that are being put forward because of past cash payments that were made to the Biden family. We don't know that. And there is a Chinese expression, a Chinese Communist Party expression, where they would say you have little bad mouth, big help. It doesn't translate perfectly, but you might talk a good game against China, but you're a big help to the aims and the ambitions of the Chinese Communist Party. They call this elite capture. And Peter Schweitzer has detailed this beautifully in his book, where they will purchase, they will invest in the American ruling class. They can't believe how cheap it actually is. $5 million here, $10 million here. And what do they get in return? Uninterrupted expansion of their Belt and Road Initiative. Zero recourse at all for what they did with COVID and the cover-up and the disappearing of scientists and all the different corruption around there and the leak from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And so right now, there are current negotiations happening in Beijing. Makes you wonder, 
if the Biden administration's tone and their approach has been impacted by past deals that are now just finally coming to light. Most fascinating. I mean, do, your your point about COVID is well taken. Look how how reluctant the administration has been mm-hmm. to actually get to the bottom of how this thing, you know, this COVID virus got, got unleashed and, you know, diminishing reports about a lab leak and only forced to release the intel when both houses of Congress demanded that he do so. Um, I want to I want to point this out. This guy Luft says, again, after the laptop thing was exposed by The New York Post right before the 2020 election, that he sent his Washington, Robert Hennock, to Washington to meet with the Trump administration's then acting DAG, basically the second person in command over there, Deputy Attorney General Richard Donahue, to again say to him that it was the Trump administration's you know, lawyers that they met with the first time. He met with the first time in March of 2019. But now we are here are October 2020. And he sends his lawyer to go meet with the DAG and say, hello, hello, you need to know you, you got this Hunter laptop. You guys know it's real. And I'm telling you and I've been telling you the guy is corrupt. Why won't you listen to me? And um, apparently the 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 Post reports that. That Donahue, the DAG, had agreed to meet with Luff's attorney at a Starbucks near DOJ headquarters and they corresponded. And um, Luft showed the post the emails between his attorney, this guy Hennock, and the DAG that they were corresponding privately. And Hennock wrote to our DOJ at the time, October 2020, this story is about corruption at the very highest levels of government and politics. And I think it can all be corroborated, but nothing ever came of the meeting Mm. until February of this year when Dr. Luft was arrested. Again, we don't know Dr. Left. We don't know whether he was already in trouble and was trying to style this whole thing as a like, I'm being persecuted. I have bad information. That is also very possible. But we need answers. It's not enough to just say, ah, BS, Ah, move on. Nothing to see here. This is too big to ignore. I'll give you the last word on this one. Well, no, especially, especially if they are actively trying to throw the leader of the opposition party in jail for the rest of his life. If that if the standard is now you're going to put the guy who is leading in the general election polls and by 50 points in the primary polls in prison for 200 years, then, oh, yeah, the gloves are off and we're going to look into every nook and cranny and exhaust every option of the current leader of this regime, Joe Biden. And there's plenty there. What a crazy, crazy story. I just like a one eye, like arms dealing. I'm on the run for life. I can't like I can't. All right. Stand by, Charlie, because there's much, much more to discuss. Charlie Kirk stays with us for the full show today. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. So, Charlie, before we move off of Hunter, I want to update um, the other extraordinary allegations against 
him, um, that the FBI, that the that the DOJ intentionally tanked the case against him on his tax crimes, uh, on his false ap- application for a gun, alleging that he'd never been a drug addict. And um, there's been more information on that. Now, there are two uh, inside IRS whistleblowers who have come out to say that they were the DOJ interfered in this case, that the um, that the the prosecutor who was involved and appointed to investigate this was thwarted at every turn, stopped from bringing charges in California, stopped from bringing charges in Washington, D.C., did not have the autonomy that he's now claiming he had, did not have the autonomy that Merrick Garland is now claiming he had, that the fix was in, is basically what they're saying. And mm-hmm. Abby Lowell is the lawyer for Hunter Biden. He's come out and attacked the whistleblower. He's come out and said, these two are hacks, basically, that they've got some sort of an agenda. And he suggested that Shapley, who's like the main guy who's who is running heard on this investigation, that he says um, he and or the other as yet unnamed whistleblower who spoke to Congress may have been pushing false articles about Hunter for a long, long time. He says there was an October 6th, 2022 Washington Post article that revealed prosecutors had, quote, sufficient evidence to charge Hunter. And Abby Lowell, Hunter's lawyer, is basically saying, how would they know that unless you spoke to the press? You've been you've been trying to get the press to turn on Hunter for a long time. You have some sort of an agenda. You're probably partisans. And meanwhile, we have absolutely zero reason to believe that they're partisans. In fact, the reports I've seen suggest they're both Democrats. Um, So if they're partisan in any one way, it would be in Hunter's favor. And he points to this article in The Washington Post. Well, now uh, Shapley comes out and pushes back against Abby Lowell and says in an extraordinary moment on July 5th in an affidavit, which means a sworn testimony, written testimony to the House Ways and Means Committee, uh, that he unequivocally swore he was not the source for that Washington Post article. I mean, this is not what you do when you're lying. When you really are the source, you just say, I'm not the source and you move on. This guy swore Mm -hmm. to it in testimony that could get him indicted if it's false and went on to say, I have never had any contact with the two reporters on that piece, stated under oath that I have never leaked confidential taxpayer information, which is what he was accused of doing by Hunter's lawyer, and then expressly authorized the Washington Post and its journalists, any any Washington Post journalist to release any communications directly or indirectly uh, with me agreeing to waive any purported journalistic privilege. And then they also went to uh, The Washington Post and asked them to correct um, these allegations and to make clear that he was not the source. So this guy has gone over uh, above and beyond to try to dispute, to push back on this nonsense allegation by Abby Lowell Hunter's lawyer that Mm -hmm. they've got an axe to grind and have been releasing confidential information about Hunter for a long, long time. I mean, I think it's a pretty clear case of Abby Lowell trying to throw whatever he can to to discredit these two whistleblowers. Yes. And what malpractice from the media to platform it. First of all, the, the media has been the biggest cheerleaders for illegal leaks over the last couple of years. Remember the IRS leaking Donald Trump's tax returns in October of 2020, right before the presidential election? Or how about the leaking of a private phone call that led to Donald Trump's impeachment with Eric Shimarella? who said, oh, I don't like this phone call. It led to the first impeachment of Donald Trump. So we don't know who actually leaked this information, but it's awfully rich to have a, the media platform these allegations from 
the lawyer of Hunter Biden saying, oh, they're illegally leaking information. I thought that's all you do in Washington, D.C., is leak right. information against people you don't like. Adam Schiff, I mean, the, the guy, every other briefing that Adam Schiff was involved in, he would get in an Uber and go to MSNBC and just make stuff up and just say, well, you know, we have credible evidence that will be coming soon that Donald Trump colluded with the Kremlin. So we don't know where this information uh, you know, originated from. But if it did leak from Gary Shapley, OK, that's the way Washington, D.C. works. But it seems as if he is denying it rather forcefully. But I, I want to focus on something that is around the story, because oftentimes you hear in Washington, D.C. that the cover up is worse than the crime. And they say, oh, you know, if they only wouldn't cover it up, then it would be fine. This is the opposite in this case. The crime is way worse than the cover up. In fact, it's very clear that there's a calculated effort that is underway that they have to cover this up. And even if they get caught covering it up, it's worth it because the crime is going to lead to something that is far more serious than obstruction of justice or, you know, trying to trying to put Merrick Garland to try to slow down an investigation. And Gary Shapley's interview uh, that he's done. He's done several interviews. He did one with Brett Baer that I thought was really powerful. He said, we were told to avoid specific protocols and procedures that we as IRS agents always take that would have led us to far more serious crimes. And so the question is here, why and who is orchestrating? Who is the grand conductor, if you will, of this cover-up? Is it just happening out of ex nihilo, out of nowhere? Or is there somebody that is saying, no, do this and don't do that? And it's very obvious. The big guy, Joe Biden, is awfully nervous that the more you look into Hunter Biden, it becomes clear that Hunter Biden was operating as a proxy for the Biden family, paying for bills, not declaring income and selling out United States policy and access to enrich their family. And so we, we're going to hopefully get some sort of an idea soon of was Merrick Garland taking orders directly from Joe Biden and then via the Department of Treasury, which would be Janet Yellen, who oversees the IRS technically, to try to either slow walk this investigation or get a sweetheart plea deal. But the crime here, what we're talking about, the crime here is prostituting yourself and United States policy for cash. And there is a word that we use for that. It's called treason. <laughs> it's going to be very hard to prove that. But it's certainly all signs, indications are pointing. And it's just a very simple question. For what service was rendered for $40 million that the Biden family was able to get over a decade? That Did they build hotels? Directly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that is a big question because Hunter Biden had zero expertise in gas and yet was paid 50 grand a month by Burisma in Ukraine and you know was getting all this money from the Chinese for what? For what? Let's get yes. specific. I'd love to know. Uh, and thank God that the Republicans won the House and they have an investigation underway mm -hmm. because at every turn we find out there's been a stymieing, a stifling by these career civil servants who have loyalty, apparently not to the truth at, in too many instances. I don't want to malign the ones accused by Luft. I don't know. But in too many instances over the past six years, we've seen a, a fealty to politics and not to justice and 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 it being blind. On that front, two other items. <laughs> the cocaine at the White House, the reports now, Charlie, you'll love this, Politico reports as follows. Um, one, of, one official familiar with the investigation cautioned, the source of the drug is unlikely to be determined. They're, they're unlikely to find the source. Given that it was discovered in what was allegedly a 
highly trafficked area of the West Wing. Was it? Is it? I I've got questions. It's you. If 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 somebody had left an explosive device, God forbid, in the place where that cocaine was found, you don't think they'd have this thing solved in about eight hours with videotape and White House logs? Absolutely, they would. But now suddenly, eh, we're really not confident they can get to the bottom of it. I think, I mean, first of all, I'm curious just how this originally leaked. I think somebody just has so much resentment for the Biden family and the Secret Service that somebody just leaked this. The second is who actually is using cocaine actively in the West Wing? That's a serious question. It could be Hunter Biden um, or even more troubling. Are there White House staffers that are regularly using prohibited substances to, to try to just get through the workday in the White House? And so it, it goes to a broader and deeper question. The I remember being in the West Wing visiting Donald Trump, President Trump, when there was story after story, Megan, that he was drinking too many Diet Cokes, that he is in <laughs> great health danger or it's bad for the democracy. It's a, it's a threat to democracy. And by the way, it is 100 percent true. The guy loves Diet Coke. And even though aspartame is really bad for you and all this, the, he seems like he has more energy and vitality than I've ever seen. It's just the, the, the laws of gravity don't always apply to Trump. So that is true. And yet now an actual prohibited federally uh, regulated substance, illegal substance is found in the West Wing and people just kind of say, well, we don't know. We're going to get to the bottom of it. it. It shouldn't surprise you because this is the way this current regime works. Again, I am just shocked that we're even getting this information. Somebody either leaked it or reported it, or maybe it's even worse than that, that they're telling us. And so I don't want to read well, too much Secret into Service it. found it. Secret Service found it and Secret Service may, you know, may have told somebody who knows. I mean, Dan Bongino, former Secret Service man, as you know, uh, he tweeted out the following, Charlie. There's absolutely zero chance anyone other than a family member brought that cocaine inside the White House complex. No chance that it would make it past the mag security checkpoints. Family bypasses those. It's pretty interesting. And that makes more sense to me than We'll just never know because the West Wing is just so heavily trafficked by randos. Yeah, it's impossible right, for sure. us to figure out who it was. Well, and I mean, just it just kind of goes to this theme that I personally feel, which is just the outright desecration of our institutions. I mean, what kind of disrespect you must have for the White House and for the presidency to just kind of bring in some blow and be like, oh, yeah, it's just heavily trafficked. It's just perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> and so will anybody be held accountable? Probably not. But it's an insult. It's, it's an insult to all of us. And the next spin, Megan, will be, I guarantee it, is that if we find out who it is, they'll be like, well, it shouldn't be illegal. I mean, the war on drugs has been a whole, terrible failure. And, no, no, you know, it's no, disproportionately. No, well, it's, I think it's going to be poor Hunter has had a relapse. No, that's that's true. Yes, if exactly. Hunter, right? Or what whoever are you, it is, like, like, you know, it's so hard exactly. when you're addicted to drugs. It's such a sad, sad occasion. Yeah. And it's 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 victim bashing. If you dare attack that, they go into the White House to go do go do lines of cocaine. And so, look, it's just another another piece of evidence of the deterioration of our institutions, just the lack of respect. And quite honestly, I do not have a lot of patience or compassion for people that feel as if they need to continue their drug abuses in the people's house. Yes, yeah, same, same. I mean, so far, what we know we've had over the past week or two weeks is some man masquerading as a woman showing off his fake breasts at our house, yes. the people's house, somebody feeling that, you know, comfortable enough there to bring point. in Coke 
into the White House. And then the president of the United States parading a criminal, his son, on the White House balcony on the celebration of our nation's birth, July 4th. That that's happened for sure over the past two weeks. That that is such a great point, Megan. And so then you also had, you know, the LGBT whatever celebration with, you know, two gay flags and only one American flag. And it goes to a theme that I've been hitting on our podcast, which is the deterioration of the holy. And I don't mean holy in a religious sense. I mean, the country we grew up in where certain things are honored and revered, where there's a certain type of behavior that is unacceptable in our institutions, where you act differently, you dress differently if you go into the White House, where I remember the first time I went to the White House, Megan, I, I, I was I was at a lack for words. I said, here I am, a kid from Chicago who didn't go to college, and I get to go into the White House where the biggest decisions ever been made. You feel a weight and a heaviness, and we are losing that. The desecration of the holy and the elevating of the profane is happening at a record pace from the topless celebration of that freak show out on the White House lawn to the cocaine thing to even... Uh, inviting that Mulvaney freak into the White House and acting as if, you know, you're the one of the most brave people I've ever seen. This this pattern is not insignificant, which is the institutions, the traditions, the behaviors, the language that once tied us together where we said, you know, we don't do that here. We, we don't elevate a different flag other than the American flag at the White House. We don't speak in a certain way. We don't take off our clothes on the White House lawn. We are losing that, and we're losing it because this idea of the separate, of the elevated, is no longer there because why the current occupant of the White House does not believe that the White House or these institutions are worthy of that kind of separation, that kind of, we have certain rules and customs and traditions because they do not have respect for it, and it's the further deterioration of what we would consider to be the sacred in our country. I'm so I was going to get to this later, but I've got to bring it up now. Joe Biden's <laughs> the CDC under Joe Biden right now, the CDC has issued guidance. This is from the actual CDC website offering advice to men who want to masquerade as women on how to chest feed babies. The CDC is saying It's possible. This is from their website. Quoting, can transgender parents who have had breast surgery, breastfeed or chest feed their infants? Yes. And then goes on. These families may need help with the following. One page containing the guidance is located on their infant and young child feeding in emergencies toolkit. And they actually go on to say an individual does not need to have given birth to breastfeed or to chest feed. There is nothing. There is nothing there about the significant risks to a baby, not to mention torture of an infant trying to suckle at the fake breast of a man who nine times out of 10 will be getting off sexually from having the child suck his nipples. This is the uh, CDC. It's disgusting. It's it's disgusting. I'm glad you went there, Megan. This is this is a gateway drug to the normalization of pedophilia is what it is. I mean, the, the yes, idea of a right. man wanting and we have to say that, I mean, this is not about, you know, nourishing a child or giving, you know, any sort of love and compassion. This is someone who's getting on some sort of sexual kink because of a child that 
is having an engagement with them. I hate to go there that bluntly, but that is exactly what this is. And this, when, when, when I say this on a college campus and some people disagree or they, you know, when I say that this is the clearest time in American history where we have this division of team reality versus team neurotic fantasy, you see this right here so clearly. I mean, we, we have a, a 10-month daughter and I could tell you that when she's hungry, not not me, not 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 my role to play, and that's okay. That is ordinary. That is natural. She wants to be with her mother. But Megan, this is what's so important. What is the philosophical poison that drives this? The Biden regime never wants to offend somebody to say that you might have biological or physical limitations that might prevent you from living out your own truth. This is where that sort of poison leads you, where you do not ever want to have the pesky shackles of reality anchor you, where they say, yeah, if you're, if you're a man that you might be able to chest feed, this is, this is not just garbage. It is, it is beyond evil. It is disgusting. It is. And it, it's evil. Megan, how many, how many hundreds of tens of thousands, let's say, young children are now going to be put in abusive environments to deal with trauma oh and issues the rest of their life. Because the, this is not some fringe group, Megan. This is not some LGBT activist group in San Francisco. This is our government. Charlie, every mother knows that when you when you try to breastfeed your baby and you're just getting started and the breasts aren't like fully pumping, like your breasts have to learn how to do it as a, as a young mother. That's correct. And, right. And, and, the, and there's this terrible moment where you're, upset because your baby wants more milk and you're like, I'm failing. I'm not producing it. I'm I'm in a panic. And this is why a lot of moms move to formula sooner than they probably needed to because they, they're convinced their breast can't do it. And if you just keep doing it as a mom, as an actual woman, you'll get there. But it's a very difficult situation for mother and baby. And even more so when it's a damn man, when it's a man doing this, trying to pretend that he could ever make the kind of milk that a mother could. This milk, the Daily Mail to its credit, which is where we found the story, um, went to actual doctors and interviewed them who said the CDC has a responsibility to disclose the lack of research and the potential risks here and pointing out that one of the medications used to force a man to produce milk uh, has been linked to heart issues in babies heart issues in babies, not to mention the amount of hormones that baby's mm. going to be drinking in. Most of us won't even have a glass of wine while we're breastfeeding our babies or That's take correct. a Tylenol, but this is fine. We're going to let the babies get tortured and potentially have heart issues in the name of equity. And, and the lack of courage to tell a troubled, neurotic, unstable man that you need mental treatment not the justification of your delusion. That's the root here, Megan, is that we have a whole regime that is unwilling, that is terrified to look people with mental problems in the eye and say, no, you need help, not the platforming of your fantasy. Yes, my God. I mean, it's like we've already been chopping up children. We've been sterilizing them. Yes. We've been rendering them incapable to ever achieve sexual climax. And now we're going after babies. Now we're going to cause That's heart correct. issues potentially in newborn babies so that some man can get off. I will leave the audience mm -hmm. with this before we take a break. There was just a story. We talked about it with Mark Stein by ITV, a British uh, broadcaster featuring a, 
a transgender woman, meaning a man, as the example of motherhood, breastfeeding, quote unquote, chest feeding a child. This is a lie. This is a man. He cannot chest feed or breastfeed. And somebody did a deep dive into this guy. He's on the Internet with nipple clamps repeatedly before this, Charlie, like actual like clothespins, like clamps down on his nipples because he gets off on it. This is a guy getting off on a baby suckling on his nipples. That's correct. And th- held up by a broadcaster as an example of motherhood. It's got to stop. Your word is perfect. It's evil. It's evil. And if this doesn't motivate you to speak out against this nonsense, nothing will. All right, we got to take a quick break. I got to have a glass of water. We'll come right back. There's so much more to get to. Love having Charlie Kirk on. Hope you're with me. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Charlie, continuing with our theme of covering up, censoring, jailing, etc., a big court ruling this week for and and an important one for those of us who do love free speech. Um, God bless the attorney generals of Louisiana, Missouri. I know you had one of these guys on your show. Mm -hmm. Um, They've been doing such a great job. They filed a lawsuit alleging the federal government cannot do through big tech that which it could not do to us directly. You know, we have a First Amendment that allows us free speech and they're not allowed to censor our speech based on viewpoint discrimination. That's the reason for the First Amendment, to protect speech that's unpopular. And they were they've been doing that. They've been doing that repeatedly through covid and other of their choice uh, issues that they don't want us speaking out on uh, through Facebook, through YouTube, through Twitter. We could go on. And so these two attorneys general filed a lawsuit saying this is unconstitutional. They're not allowed to do this. And they won their first big battle Uh, in federal court in Mm -hmm. Louisiana. A federal judge has has just issued a preliminary injunction blocking a long list of federal agencies and officials from communicating with social media platforms about some content online. If you listen to NPR, if you listen to the left, they're going to make you believe that they can't have any communication, that if they found out there's a child pornography ring on Facebook, they're not allowed to call Facebook. That's a lie. That's a lie. And the ruling Mm -hmm. makes that specifically clear. This is about suppression of viewpoints that are unpopular. Uh, It also bars these government agencies from communicating with with some of these outside groups like the Stanford Internet Observatory. We've had them on our show. The Election Integrity Partnership, the Virality Project, these people who sort of have been used as proxies by the government to decide which speech is good and which is bad. And um, I'll tell you. Okay, just two things before I give give you the floor. This is what the judge found. Quote, if the allegations made by the plaintiffs are true, because this still has to go to trial, it's just a preliminary injunction pending trial. The present case arguably involves the most massive attack against free speech in United States history. In their attempts to suppress alleged disinformation, the federal government and particularly the defendants here named named here are alleged to have blatantly ignored the First Amendment's right to free speech. 
Although the censorship alleged here almost exclusively targeted conservative speech, the issues raised herein go beyond party lines. The right to free speech is not a member of any political party and does not hold any political ideology. Finding the plaintiffs are likely to succeed on the merits and issuing a preliminary injunction. And when you look at the specifics of what they were suppressing, Charlie, what the feds, the White House was repeatedly Mm -hmm. contacting Facebook, YouTube and so on about, it's absolutely offensive and well beyond what any normal administration would ever think it was within their purview to censor. Well, that's exactly right. And we actually are looking at potential legal action against the election integrity project because we were singled out as spreaders of disinformation. What was our thought crime, Megan? Well, we decided to tweet out that Hunter Biden's laptop was probably legitimate. We lost access to our Twitter account for a week. We were placed on Twitter's blacklist. And that's another important piece of information here is that thanks to Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter, we have this amazing amount of evidence that then reinforces what the Attorney General of Missouri and Louisiana will be able to find in discovery. And you pair that together. And what you would find is that the federal government has spent billions of dollars of man hours of personnel monitoring, policing, and censoring domestic political speech. And so before we go any further, it just makes you wonder, what would the country look like ideologically if they didn't interfere in these conversations? I mean, I believe we are a center-right country and we're increasingly becoming more of a center-right country. Public opinion polls show that. There might be some disagreement on social issues, but we are moving in the center-right direction, especially as people see the nonsense of the left every day. I think we'd be even more of a conservative country if we had liberated dialogue and discourse. And so you look at what is the federal government tasked with doing primarily? Well, first of all, protecting our country from threats abroad and if necessary, domestically. They look at their charge as saying those right wingers are a threat to democracy. Do you see how all of these MSNBC narratives then become policy? When you have John yeah. Brennan go on TV and say, oh, yeah, you know, the people that did January 6th, half the country, they need to be surveilled, they need to be spied on. That gives the marching orders to CISA, to the Department of Homeland Security, to all these different instruments of government to then censor speech they don't like. But what makes this case fascinating and interesting is they didn't do it bluntly. There is the examples of the FBI meeting with Twitter and the FBI visiting Mark Zuckerberg and saying that, hey, there might be some Russian disinformation, but they got a little creative. They got a little cute. They said, well, what if we give all this money to an outside group and then they do the censoring for us? So it's censorship by proxy. You cannot do that. And they got caught. And you read it perfectly where the judge says this is the worst attack on free speech in American history. Oh, yeah. And it's probably still ongoing, Megan. It makes you wonder What were their plans for 2024 going to be for this upcoming presidential election? If this ruling stands, this very well might even the playing field to some degree so that we might be able to have something, I don't know, called a fair and free election so that we can have speech online where we can actually talk about a candidate's qualifications or their corruption or their, you know, their favorability or not. And this all goes back to this idea that the fourth branch of government, the unelected, the civil service bureaucrats, the desk workers, you can call them the deep state or the uniparty, the leviathan, all these terms work, is that they believe they call the shots. They do not want to have the people be able to express their opinions without them being the ultimate 
check and balance. And they fear, Megan, that there is a center-right resurgence in this country. Take Donald Trump out of the equation for a second. They fear that the country is starting to reject this sort of trans zealotry, that they find this idea of chest feeding or teaching pornography to nine-year-olds in schools to be outright repulsive. And so they are using every means at their disposal to go after the political dissidents, which are people like me, like you. Dan Bongino was also put on a blacklist. And where did this all come from? This came from Republicans mostly, Megan, who passed these agencies from bill into law post 9-11. There's a supply and demand problem with terrorism. We started with Islamic terrorism in 2005, 2006, you know, 04, 05, 06 being the biggest threat, and it was a big threat. But guess what? Those agencies were never shuttered down as the threat waned. They instead reconfigured. They found a new target, patriotic conservative Americans that they don't like, and they are treating us like ISIS and Al-Qaeda, the same sort of behavior, language, and censorship that they would with a terrorist group in the Middle East. Mm, gosh, you're so right. And it's when you see like, you know, you get to pull the curtain back and see behind the scenes what they were actually doing, how angry they were at the social media companies when they didn't censor and, and yes. in particular on COVID. They go through it's um, if, if you want to go look at the judge's opinion, it's on, I think, page nine. Uh, they go through the lists, the, uh, the list of some of the things that they pushed on. Uh, the COVID response team from the White House contacting Twitter to remove an anti-vaccine tweet by Robert Kennedy Jr. Um, there you go. And asking for oversight, oversight by big tech on similar tweets. You know, we're asking you to be our partner in this censorship. Um, then you've got one. I mean, this is just a few examples. You could go down the list. Um, April 2021, Facebook reported uh, it would have a new policy allowing for the removal of certain profiles due to off-platform behavior. All right, so if you're bad in your personal life, Facebook can re re uh, remove you. And the White House requested more information on the specifics of this policy. Oh, we really like it. <laughs> Facebook's like, yeah, go for it. Uh, from the filing, it, it appears this guy Flaherty told Facebook, I care mostly about what actions and charges you're making to ensure you're not making uh, making our country's vaccine hesitancy problems worse. Accusing Facebook of being responsible for January 6th and indicating that Facebook would be similarly responsible for covid related deaths if it did not censor more. Mm -hmm. Just the threats that went on here. Uh, June 2021, a meta that's Facebook executive confirming to the White House staff that they would continue to increase censorship of misleading information, according to the White House's quote requests. They committed to providing weekly reports to the White House. My God. And here's the final example mm -hmm. I'll bring up here. Uh, this guy Flaherty, again, um, he was uh, deputy assistant to the, to the president at the time. Uh, he wanted to know why Facebook had not removed a Tucker Carlson video about that was anti-vax or raising questions about the vax, questioning how that video had been demoted, which he'd been assured it had been, since it already had 40,000 shares. That was unacceptable to the White House. To be to be allowing not, not promoting, but just to be allowing Tucker's video to be shared. Facebook reported that Tucker's content had not violated any Facebook policy, but Facebook nonetheless agreed to give the video a 50 percent demotion for seven days and stated that it would continue to demote the video. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, I, I got asked once 
by a student on campus and they said, Charlie, how, why do you think you are right in historical terms? I said, look, I, I might not be right on every issue, but I know I'm on the right side of history because the people doing the censoring are never on the right side. And, and this is the best example that if you have to use the full force of government to shut up people you don't like. And Megan, if I could just connect the dots, I've been warning about this culture of shutting people up that you disagree with that originated on college campuses. Instead of having debate and dialogue, instead of saying, oh yeah, you know, actually the vaccine is safe and it's effective and Robert Kennedy Jr., here are the facts and let's have a dialogue about it. They have to use force. And so there are really basically two ways you could set up a government. You could set up a government using speech and dialogue and reason and debate, or you could set up a government based on force. Our original constitutional model that we celebrated this week on Independence Day, you know, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands that have tied them to another, it was making an argument based a government on speech that you no longer can force us, King George. You can't force us to do things we don't like. You're going to have to use reason. And it says to use consent to the governed. This current regime, they're done with that. They don't want to talk to you. That's a waste of time. Why would I talk to Robert Kennedy Jr.? He's a kook. Why would I talk to Tucker Carlson? He's a Russian puppet and propagandist. This is, this is the pattern of tyrants to use, a, to use the instruments of government to go after people that might be a threat or might be a, pose some sort of disagreement to their aims and their ambitions. The second part of this, Megan, which is interesting, is that they'll use other parts of the government to get what they want in a not so, it's not that hard to detect. It's done in kind of a mafioso way. And so for example, Mark Zuckerberg had several pending issues in front of the Federal Trade Commission. And it's very similar to kind of how the crime families would operate, where they'd show up to Mark Zuckerberg and they'd say, it'd be quite a shame if you get an unfavorable ruling from the Federal Trade Commission. Now, remember, Zuckerberg got under huge scrutiny after the 2016 election because a lot of left-wing Democrats blamed Mark Zuckerberg for opening up Facebook for Cambridge Analytica for allowing Donald Trump to become president. Remember that whole news cycle that Facebook was too easy to access and they didn't have the guardrails and, you know, you did not stop, you know, Donald Trump. For, so Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and a lot of these social media titans, they are they were operating under a pressure campaign to never be blamed again for a populist nationalist candidate from becoming president, in addition to all the regulatory action that they might be facing. So they're constantly trying to win favor of the government being like, okay, we'll censor this post, we'll censor this post. And Twitter went as so far with Yoel Roth, who is the head of you know Twitter yeah. safety, to have a standing meeting with the FBI. That he had a standing meeting where the FBI would come in and they would discuss notes. And, you know, we now know that I was put on a very specific Twitter blacklist alongside Dan Bongino. Makes you wonder who else was also shadow banned. And uh, it, the, 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 the point I'll reiterate is it's remarkable, Megan, how center right the country is, even with this censorship pressure campaign. And I think one of the reasons why Pride Month kind of fell flat for a lot of the trans zealots is because Elon Musk purchased Twitter in the last 13 months, we've been able to get the word out about chemical castration of kids and the sterilization. When you're allowed to have at least a semblance of a marketplace of ideas, it is a proven threat to tyranny, to totalitarianism, and quite honestly, this garbage that they're force feeding. The only way the left is able to win, I truly believe this, is if they're able to shut us up. Well, we, we were, we 
looking into this news story, there was a news uh, company. I'm trying to figure out the news station. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But they fired a couple of producers who during Pride Month said, you know, we should be telling the other side. There's a lot of people who don't like this stuff. Fired. Fired. Just for, just yep. for not going along with the, yes, celebrate, taste the rainbow, get you fired. Um, and so you're right. Elon's been very important. He's been hugely important uh, in yes, just allowing the other side of the dialogue. And um, that that brings me to the fact that Mark Zuckerberg is now launching a competitor to Twitter. <laughs> now he's decided Twitter's failing. We can't have just this dialogue. None of the liberals like Twitter anymore. And so he's launching a competitor to it. Um, right. Because the liberals can't they can't allow the conservatives to or even just Elon's an independent to own any sort of these forums, lest these kind of conversations take place. That was just a side point. But I want to talk about language because yesterday we saw a case. It happened over the July 4th holiday, but there was a mass shooting in Philly and five people were killed at the hands of this shooter who was a biological man who went around looking like a woman. Uh, now, now something weird happened. When the city officials came out and talked about it, Charlie, and I reported this to the audience yesterday, they would not say the city officials held a press conference on Tuesday. They refused to name the suspect. That's weird. That's weird. Usually the, the cops, the city officials will tell you who did it. It's people like me who won't say the names of the shooters because we don't want to give them. That's infamy. correct. But this is strange for the actual officials to not release it. And then they said they were um, unsure. They wanted to point out. The New York Times pointed out that the authorities clarified they were unsure of the suspect's gender identity. Who gives a shit what is gender identity? Like, is it a man or a woman? Is it a man or a woman? That's just the basics, please. It was clearly a man. Um, and then they wanted to point out that um, he used the, new, the, the pronouns they, them, that the news conference uh, on Tuesday used the pronouns they, them. OK, so they wanted to make sure that they didn't say he or she inappropriately uh. for this suspected mass shooter. All right. So it was very strange because they're not giving us his name. They're using they, them. And now here's what happened in the follow up. The Philadelphia DA, Larry Krasner, who's a George Soros guy. This is one of those woke DAs who won't prosecute crimes, held a news conference following the arraignment of the suspect uh, who's 40 years old, suspected again of killing five people on July 3rd. He proceeded at this press conference to introduce a social justice advocate who's a member of the LGBTQIA advisory committee named Asa Khalif. Well, as Krasner introduced Khalif, he said, uh, as wonderful as he as his speaking is, it should not be necessary. But, you know, there are some people for whom hate is a full time job. And if they can stay away from the facts and talk about nonsense, that's what they are going to do. OK, do we have this? I think we have some of this on camera. I'm trying to look at my soundbite list. Uh, yeah. OK. Then Asa Khalif comes out and takes the microphone and listen to his message in the wake of this shooting. Sat 10. I want to discuss very briefly because there is a nasty, violent in terms of verbal and written words um, spewed by the conservative press. There are certain pictures that are circulating shooter in one picture as male and other pictures dressed in female uh, attire. They have used those pictures to attack trans people. Language is extremely important when we're talking about anything dealing with violence in trans community. 
the suspect or the shooter has not identified themselves as trans. They have only identified themselves as male. But the language that is spewed out by the conservative press is violent and is dangerous and is targeting trans women of color. They are not killers. They are the most vulnerable to violence. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. For the listening audience, Charlie is rubbing his eyes. <laughs> I yeah. can't. Five people were killed. And the speaker is worried about the sensitivity of what pronoun is being used. To connect an earlier topic and point we made, Megan, it's what do we consider to be sacred in our current society? In a moment where five people are killed, the pronoun selection is considered to be a bigger deal than the remembering of the five people killed. And he says, violent, violent language. Excuse me, pal. Your, whatever, whatever this person was killed by people is a murderer of five people. And we have to be hypersensitive over what pronouns we use, of what language that we use. And this person was obviously a cross-dresser and had deep-seated mental had problems and all the information. Charlie, he had breasts, okay? He had yes. breasts and wore women's clothes. I couldn't care less what he called himself. Well, and it's also, this is what they're spending their attention on. Because, look, there's, Friedrich Nietzsche had a great quote, and he said, you could tell a lot by a society based on what is the central piety of the thing you're not allowed to make fun of. And that is considered to be the most holy thing in the society, right? So you can strip at the White House. You could do cocaine and blow at the White House. You can have gay flags at the White House. But so, so the traditional institutions, the things that we would revere, the things that we consider to be holy and sacred and things that we would lift up and really adore, forget all that. But at a press conference where five people were massacred and murdered or killed, the most important thing is the language from right-wing pundits that might misgender the murderer, that the murderer is the victim. And that is the key, Megan. That is what they've, this is what they teach on campuses, that the, the murderers are not actually the perpetrator, they're the victim. That they're only led to do that because of our language, that we did not properly treat them. No, no, you're a scumbag that's going to go to hell for murdering five people. And the, the idea of platforming a quote-unquote social justice activist for this shows exactly where we are inside. This is, this is beyond repulsive. It's vile. It's, it's disgusting. But it's fitting because forget five. They're, basically what they're saying, who cares five people are, are killed? The true violence is the fact that you don't use proper pronouns. Yeah. That's exactly right. This guy opened fire on random people, killing five people, four men and a 15 year old boy shot a two year old boy four times in his legs, shot a two year old. And we're supposed to give a shit what the pronouns are. Well, we don't. We don't care. We don't care about this man. We don't care about what what he wants us to be calling him. But it's very obvious whether he called himself trans or not, yes. he wanted us to perceive him as a woman because he grew breasts. That doesn't happen naturally. And he pranced around in women's clothing. He's a murderer. Obviously, there was some sort of gender confusion. I have no idea what the label was. But the fact that not only was there some sort of press correction to the gender, but he had the nerve to parade this guy out 
to to lecture us on the right wing press fostering hate brings it all home. And this guy saying that trans women are are not killers. They're the most vulnerable to violence. I mean, I could show him a slew of stories and Internet videos that we've been subjected to in which these so-called trans women are threatening all of us if we say anything to them, be it at a restroom or a locker room, what have you. Yeah, a couple things. First of all, the Rainbow Mafia, they are one of the most violent group of people. Most death threats I receive, most violent confrontations that we receive in all of our travel and commentary comes from what we call the Rainbow Mafia. And they are aggressive. They are ferocious. And not to mention, I could just list some examples off the top of my head. The Nashville mass shooting, which there's still a lot of questions. I don't think we ever got that manifesto, by the no, way. It's been three uh, the, months. We didn't. The thwart- Yeah. And so that just kind of disappeared. The thwarted mass shooting in Colorado Springs of a person under the trans delusion that was going to do a mass shooting in Colorado Springs. Thankfully, law enforcement interceded. And that's just off the top of my head. There's there's other examples as well. But why is it that this is considered to be sacred? Well, and you look at innocent life is not nearly as important as the trans agenda. We could speculate, Megan, but I think it's just important to notice it and repeat it, that they are so all in on this trans thing that even if it means the massacring of innocence, that is nowhere near as important as the furtherance, as the acceleration of this, not just radical, this repulsive agenda that is going to our kids and our society because they would not dare want to offend the murderer. Yeah. You point out that, you know, our, our children, I know you've been commenting about this, too, but did you see the, the teachers unions recommended oh, yeah. gender queer yeah. for, for teachers this summer? Like, you know, you said mm-hmm. like our, our school says sends our kids home saying these are some suggested books that they could read over the summer if you want to keep their brains active. OK, I like that. Well, apparently the teachers union does that for teachers and um, the books are. Um, <laughs> A little bit to the left, you might say. They they lean a little bit to the left, like white fragility. Yes, by Robin D'Angelo. And not to mention Genderqueer, which is a quasi-pornographic book. And if I may just also add one of my least favorite politicians in America who's just so nauseating and repulsive, Gavin Newsom. And, you know, Gavin Newsom goes to Boise, Idaho, because he has this whole thing to try to go to red states to try to prove that he has all this big following. And he goes to this bookstore in Boise, Idaho, to talk about, oh, these are all the, you know, in his Bane-like voice, I'm the governor of California and we don't ban books in California. And and this is a call to action. If you see Gavin Newsom walking the streets or in an event, respectfully but forcefully, you you need to ask him and read these books that he says are banned, which are pornographic books. And so these politicians are trying to virtue signal on this, Megan, like, oh, yeah, we don't ban books. Yeah, excuse me, we should ban pornographic material from eight, nine and 10 year olds in their classroom, period. They should not yeah. have, you know, animated instructions of how to do anal sex for a 10 year old, period. End of story. And now the teacher union has this book, Gender Queer, which is a pornographic book in their recommended reading list. Makes you wonder, what is their focus on the sexualization of children? And the answer is that the, the quicker that they are able to rob a child of the innocence of their innocence, the easier they are to control that they're going to need some sort of direction, some sort of authority figure. They do not want that to be the family. They don't want that to be mom or dad. They'd rather have that be the government or some sort of TikTok influencer or some sort of public school teacher. The 
inappropriate content to children has parents outraged from coast to coast. It's even got some Democrats upset. I mean, this is, I don't think, entirely a partisan issue. Um, and thankfully, while you know they may be trying to shove it down the throats of the teachers who are then going to try to pass it on to our kids, the parents are starting to speak up. And you know what? The consumers are starting to speak up. And that brings me to the bloodbath at Disney right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm so heartened to see it. Disney, uh, the June Daily Mail reporting on this, is looking at an almost $900 million loss right now following a series of woke flops at the box office. Um, apparently, there's, a, there's an a- analysis out there showing that films like Lightyear, in which they decided to make Buzz Lightyear gay, um, The Little Mermaid, which is now woke. Uh, I'm trying to get the latest one. Elemental, that's one of the ones that includes a non-binary character, which had one of the worst openings ever, worst opening weekend in company history. We could go down the list. Uh, the people are not buying this content. They don't want this content. And slowly but surely, you know, you have, um, oh, we almost covered this story yesterday. Netflix, which right after George Floyd Mm -hmm. created some group that was going to add little addendums onto its movies, like Gone with the Wind is Racist, and we sort of put contextualize all these old films. It's like, that's a Me Tooer. That that division has been eliminated bit by bit. All these media companies are eliminating and big big tech companies are eliminating their heads of diversity because it's just a wasted position where somebody just glorifies their wokeness and tries to lecture. So it's failing. It is failing. So a couple thoughts. Number one, streaming itself is there's two big bubbles that I think are going to pop the commercial real estate bubble and the streaming bubble. The amount of money that the streaming wars generated or just that they plowed into crappy content, Megan, it's like 99% of it is just garbage. And so as streaming was ascendant during COVID, you had Hulu, you had, which is owned by Disney, you have Disney Plus, you have Paramount, you had Netflix, you had Amazon. They would just pour hundreds of millions, billions of dollars into any and all content they could get their hands on. And a lot of it was just trash. And so they have just libraries of this content that nobody is watching, when in reality, it's kind of like private equity, which is like one in 30 deals actually end up paying the bills, like one in 250 uh, asset purchases and streaming actually end up generating any sort of traffic or retention. And so they have all this wasted content. But Megan, it's worse than that. It's that they then had had half of their content allocation had to be in kind of the woke bucket. And I don't know about you. I mean, I, I haven't gone to Netflix on Netflix in a couple months. But it's like every other show is like some black lesbian in a wheelchair like protesting some injustice. I'm like, I don't like I, it's it's just not very interesting to me. Right. Yeah, just like, oh, yeah, romantic comedy change. or a drama thriller. Yes. Or just something or like a World War Two documentary or I don't know, something that just isn't <laughs> complaining. Right. Like, listen to me complain for uh, 90 minutes. Like, OK, great. Like, I got enough of that. Can I watch so something true. that is like wholesome and yes. virtuous? It, even and like so the we kids see that notice across- it. Oh, yes. And by the way, it doesn't elevate you. Right. And that kind of goes back to a theme we're talking about. Do we have things that lift us up where it tries to make us become better humans and, uh, you know, talk about what is good and virtuous and beautiful and what is heroic and courageous? And that really is what art at its best should be. And so you look at the box office this week with almost no promotion, total word of mouth. The number one movie in America right now is Sound of Freedom, which is an amazing story about anti-child sex 
trafficking, beat Indiana Jones, beat all of this. And so Disney's $900 million bloodbath, I think, is only beginning. And Bob Iger, who now has reassumed the role of CEO of Disney, has a really tough uh, kind of situation in front of him because he has so many radical employees that he relies upon for graphic design, for screenwriting, that are so all in on the LGBTQ agenda, he has to continue to push content at least out to satisfy their demand. And so he has this anchor that he has to just, okay, guys, you know, once every month, we're going to have another gay kissing scene in whatever movie we're doing. And whether it be Lightyear or, you know, we're going to do Aladdin, but this time Aladdin is actually trans. Like, okay, great. You know, how, how many renditions or we're going to do Lion King, but instead of, you know, the hero's journey, it's really that, you know, they're, they're not allowed to stay in the Great Plains because of climate change. Like how many different political <laughs> elements can you incorporate in this? And so you're going to see mass layoffs. So there's two big bubbles that are going to pop, the streaming bubble and the commercial real estate bubble. They're both, they've both been created for different reasons. The streaming one, and I, you sh I try not to make a habit, Megan, of rejoicing and the suffering of people or companies. I have suspended that rule. I am loving this bloodbath. I love the misery. I love the suffering because Disney, used to be a wholesome, family-friendly company that made billions of dollars off of families like my own that I grew up in when my parents trusted Disney. They violated that trust and they deserve to suffer. Yes, I'd love to see it too. I want to I wanna correct myself. Buzz is not gay in the remake. My team's informing me characters in the remake. They're, they're basically trying to force the gay agenda just like the woman said she tries to do in every Disney film. Then there's... Um, a movie called Strange World, which centers on a romantic relationship between two male characters. That one lost a staggering one hundred and ninety seven million dollars at the box office. I mean, that is brutal. So hopefully they'll learn their lesson, uh, just like all these others are. And there was um, it, it's one of it. I can't remember the pitch, but it's a Meghan Markle pitch to, I think, Spotify or Netflix on how they want to take some old British character from it's like the one of the, one of the classic like Grimm's fairy tales, one of them, and reinvent this this woman who's like a curmudgeonly or elderly person as really just downtrodden because of the patriarchy. And now she's empowered and you get her uh, backstory. You understand like n nobody wants this drivel. No one's going to pay for this nonsense. No. So slowly but surely we're having our say. Yes. And, and the boycotts are making a difference. We are having our say. Again, if you want to talk about a potential gold rush, a non-woke creative team that is able to just deliver content that is yes. wholesome, that is uplifting, that is funny, that can challenge kind of the, uh, let's just say, insane orthodoxies that reign the day, right? I mean, this is, it's, it's just, there's so much opportunity there. I don't know who is going to seize it. Um, but right now, there's an unsustainable business model that came after Floyd Palooza of the major streaming giants that are collapsing in front of our eyes. If they decide to actually, I don't know, produce real content of stories that people care about that are not just rooted in whatever woke incantation and mantra that will satisfy the ACLU and the human rights campaign, go for it. But one of the most promising developments of 2023, Megan, in a year that has been frustrating to say the least, is how finally there is a little bit of corporate suffering that is happening if they go too woke, whether it be Target, we see it with Bud Light, we see it with Disney and many others. Uh, whether this will manifest and spread to other places, we shall see. But when you're dealing with family content and you decide to try to make 
you know, the, the, the most radical gay agenda, the forefront thing, don't be shocked when families start to unsubscribe. That's right. Here's the, here's the thing on Meghan Markle. Uh, Harry and Meghan's potential next great idea is a great expectations inspired show. This is according to the mirror. The show is apparently called Bad Manners and the production will be based on Charles Dickens's character, Miss Havisham. The prequel will recast the lonely spinster as a strong woman who is living in a patriarchal society. <laughs> it's amazing. It, it, no one wants to see that. No one wants to see no anything one wants like it. that. And I mean, I look at a show that I mean, you look at like Downton Abbey, which is like one of the most successful shows of the last 10 years. Maybe people actually want a restoration of the traditional and the ordinary and the elevating of things that have passed down successfully for multiple generations. Not everything has to be an activist campaign of weaponized complaining. In fact, it's really not that enjoyable to watch. No. You're so right on. And you think about Downton Abbey. Yes, these, uh, you know, the women there are in traditional roles and so on. But it, I loved that show. Lady Mary oh, I was it. really the strongest character on the whole thing. They didn't portray women as yes. these weak, sad little characters. This is this is Meghan Markle's view of Hollywood that everybody's yes. portrayed. No, just because you're in a traditional family with sort of old school approaches to values and culture doesn't mean the women are disempowered. As I said, Lady Mary was probably the strongest character on this show. Yes. Old Lord Grantham, less so. And what you notice in the writing of Downton Abbey, it's a profoundly deep story, is that, okay, a woman might be in a traditional role, but there are complexities and challenges and issues and the drama and the tension. It's almost you can't look away. And so this isn't that hard, right? You and I are kind of figuring out this on air really simply. Why won't Disney? They know it too, but they're held hostage, Megan. Because every time they might float this out in a creative design meeting, one out of 10 will say, excuse me, why do we not have a black trans person as the lead? And yep. so that activist pressure is present in every one of those creative meetings at Disney. And it's going to be the death of these companies. You saw this at ESPN, Megan, and it's too bad because actually legitimate talent is now being let off. And you could see they would rather let off the kind of straight white guy who actually Todd McShay, for example, who does a great job for football reporting because that's perfectly justifiable when in reality, hey, Disney, why don't you fire 30% of your unnecessary graphic design department that is obviously holding your entire company hostage to create content that doesn't turn a profit that quite honestly is disgusting, vile and repulsive. Yeah, I've, I've told the audience this story, but Doug and I went to see Macbeth on Broadway last year. It was starring Daniel Craig. So we might thought it might be cool. Wrong, wrong. So, it's you know, 17th century Scotland and it's a minority majority cast. Oh, don't get me started okay. about this. All right. So that's oh, I mean, a little the- off, but OK. And then can I tell you, the, the person cho- cast to play the king's son was a woman with blue spiky hair. <laughs> Uh, and then the, honestly, yeah. as if on cue, they had a guy come out to start it to, to say hello to us. And then he wound up being in the play, too, in the wheelchair. It was it was everything you just said. Oh, and it's just I mean, for example, you go see the new Phantom of the Opera. It, it's it, it it's indecipherable from like a BLM, you know, press press operation. <laughs> like, OK, like it's just not the, the setting of the I don't need this force fed. It's so forced. And they're they're. There is a rejection where finally people are saying, "Okay, I don't want to be called a racist, but this is just not enjoyable. 
And but hey, the revolution knows no bounds, Megan. This will not stop unless they're stopped. And the best news is eventually these companies have to turn a profit or else their stock price is going to go south quickly. We'll see what happens. Yeah, well, I hope you're right. Uh, more with Charlie just ahead. Plenty more to get to. Don't go away. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Sadly, there is nothing more quintessentially American than fireworks and gun violence. I have to say, I did not go out on July 4th and would not. The idea of going to a mass gathering, a parade or a big fireworks thing outside seems insane to me, to be blunt, in America. Because America is awash with guns and now people don't just have them. They seem to want to shoot people with them and use them for whatever, you know. Uh, that was our friend Joy Reid. Welcome back to the Megan <laughs> Kelly Show. Charlie Kirk remains with me. This is a multimillionaire, went to Harvard. I can't go out on the streets. I'm going to get shot. You think? Yeah, I mean, look, I have a couple thoughts on this. First of all, this is the same sort of neuroticism that was kind of the premise of COVID, that you can't have a decent life because of some sort of, you know, fringe likelihood that something might happen to you. And I wish Joy Reid was just honest. Where, where? What part of American culture is it customary to fire off weapons in July 4th? What, what part of America does that usually happen? In largely right. urban Black-centered areas. This is not a racial comment, but does she have the courage to say that? Like, look, if you go to a fireworks celebration in Des Moines, Iowa, I think you're going to be just fine, Joy Reid. I think you're fine. If you go to downtown Philly, I, I don't know. I mean, so if she wants to make a political statement here about it, Go for it. But there, that if she wants to talk about gun violence on July 4th, you know, I, I was raised in the suburbs of Chicago and it's a tragic pattern, but you would see the next day, 45 shot in downtown Chicago, 10 killed in downtown Chicago the day after July 4th. And so I have a lot of thoughts on Joy Reid and we can proceed in that way. I found one of the most illuminating comments from her the last week where she said she only got into Harvard because of affirmative action, which I found to be quite interesting and fitting. But she is she is now allowing her neurotic fear of whatever, you know, gun violence or thing to happen to dictate her behavior. Exactly the same sort of operating premise that we lived lived through under COVID. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, we talked about the Philadelphia shooting. That was July 3rd. There are there are shootings in America. We have over 400 million guns, but your odds of actually being targeted in one of these mass shootings are still you have better chance of being struck by lightning. I mean, it's just absolutely Correct. astronomical, the, the, the odds against this happening. And yet she wants to scare the bejesus out of her audience that the streets of America are basically just a, a hellhole, like that WNBA player 
said yesterday, America's trash. We're trash. We're not doing right by people. OK, sure, sure. And, you know, it's it reminds me of, um, you know, the Michelle Obama comments after the Supreme Court opinion striking down affirmative action in college admissions. Um, she made it sound like this is just the America of Jim Crow. And, you know, she's so super sad for the poor people who this is going to affect. You know, you work so hard, you toil away, you don't have any connections. And then, you know, you're one lane for getting in. It gets shut down. And I said the day she said this, you know what? Same, Michelle. I had no connections. I worked super hard. I had absolutely no family yes. legacy, just like you. It's not a black thing. You know, it's a class thing for the most part. If your parents didn't go to Harvard, it makes it extra hard to get into Harvard. And you don't need a side door just because you're black. It helps if you have no connections, you have no money. Those are the people who, who could use help getting in. But That's she right. wants to make it all about race. And now it turns out, Charlie, I, I'm sure you saw this, but like days before or a week or so before she was lamenting about this terrible state of our country, she was out with Tom Hanks on his yacht. <laughs> she was out. The oppressed Obamas were out on the Tom Hanks yacht vacationing with Tom Hanks, a different kind of American royalty, some lavish vacation with the Tom Hanks family in Greece, crying about our shitty country. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Where? Yeah. Greece, where diversity is their strength as well. I mean, could, could you pick a more kind of homogenous country? So, look, I mean, this is the, the affirmative action thing. I'm super glad the Supreme Court did what they did. I wish they would have been even more forceful. And it's very simple. Should race matter in the selection of individuals for positions? And the answer needs to be unequivocally no. Race does not matter. Your competency should matter. Your character should matter. Now, is there are there going to be, you know, difficulties and externalities? Of course, that's called life. However, what Michelle Obama and Joy Reid, they act as if the only reason why blacks are not able to get into certain colleges is because of racism. As, as if there are no other factors whatsoever, such as are they more or less likely to be raised in a two-parent home? Pretty important consideration. When you have two parents around, the child is less likely to go to prison, more likely to graduate high school, more likely to have a job, less likely to commit crimes. Why don't they ever talk about that? Well, because they would much rather create an entire set of political circumstances that allow them to virtue signal from their super yacht in the Aegean, which is, oh yeah, America's so unbelievably racist, keep on giving us political power and watch our Netflix documentary because you are super oppressed and you might as well not make good decisions. One of the things that I'm trying to do at Turning Point USA and that I'm trying to push our leaders to do is you need to have a public policy agenda that challenges people to improve their own life, does not challenge them to complain or try to bring down pre-existing power structures. Yes, life is difficult. Life is hard. You might not be treated fairly all the time. What are you going to do about it? And when it comes to affirmative action, it was the active discrimination against white and Asian students to lower standards to try to make Harvard or University of North Carolina, you know, quote unquote, more diverse, a completely irrelevant goal. People's skin color should mean nothing to us. The content of your melanin means nothing to me. I care about are you qualified? Are you ambitious? Are you a person of good character? This is the goal that Martin Luther King once charted for our country. Affirmative action is at direct odds against that. But it's fitting. It's fitting because Michelle Obama and Joy Reid, their racket would be over, Megan, if they said, you know what, maybe you should just work harder and stop doing drugs and wake up earlier and you're going to live a good life. Oh, no, no, they could never say that. Instead, they remain rich, powerful and untouchable the more that they can convince 
their portion of their, you know, following or population that there is a racist boogeyman out to get them. You might as well yeah. not even try because the game is so rigged against you while I'm on my super yacht with Tom Hanks in the Mediterranean. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, I was first lady and my husband was the president. Um, yes, of course, the, obviously. There is yeah. a woman named Edith Egger who wrote this book, The Choice, which is amazing. And it's she was um, she was a Jewish girl during the Holocaust who was subjected to absolute horrors and lived somehow lived through it all and wrote this amazing book. And um, my friend Alison Barklage, who I've mentioned on the show, her son Blake died at age 17 last year of myocarditis. Um, she I said, Alison, how are you like this? How are you able to function? How are you able still able to laugh? And she recommended this book to help me understand. And this woman, Edith, has a saying which everybody should remember. And it is suffering is universal. Victimhood is optional. That mm. just sums it all up, Charlie. That's what you're trying so to beautiful. teach. Yes. No, that's exactly right. And that I'm familiar with that text. I've never read it, but it sounds very similar to a book that has impacted my life greatly. Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, similar circumstance where it says you have agency, you have a choice of what you are going to make of your suffering. And it is the story that you tell yourself about the suffering that will determine your life. And so suffering, again, is universal. The first you know, Buddhist principle is life is suffering, that it, there's nothing but suffering as far as the eye can see. And what Viktor Frankl argues in the book Man's Search for Meaning, a concentration camp survivor, is that it's the people who found purpose in their suffering that were the most likely to survive in the concentration camp. They were able to find the most happiness, the most joy, and the most fulfillment, and the most purpose. Now, Megan, I will acknowledge that takes a lot of effort in a modern society where the incentive structure is whoever complains against, uh, who complains the most and the best gets the first prize. The oppression Olympics goes to you that can find the most amount of currency points of who is the most aggrieved party. And so it takes intentionality. It takes focus to actually have a posture of gratitude, to have an attitude of I'm incredibly blessed and I'm going to take responsibility for my own actions. And mind you, it's not always popular to say this because people are looking for somebody to blame for their own circumstance. But I can say in my own life, it's liberating and freeing. And quite honestly, it brings me joy to say, you know what? I'm able to decide how I react to my circumstances mm -hmm. as an act of my own will to find meaning in that suffering. And my faith is very important to me in that way. And the current modern orthodoxy is totally against that, which is point fingers at somebody else. You're not happy because of racism, colonialism, misogyny, homophobia, and you are actually not in charge of your own destiny. I find that worldview to be depressing and disempowering. We're trying to to show young people that there is a better way. Totally agree. This is why we love Turning Point. And I want to tell the audience that you're, if you like this messaging, you're going to hear a lot more of it next week in West Palm Beach, Florida at the Turning Point Action Conference. Yes, I will be there along with Tucker Carlson, President Trump, Dan Bongino, uh, Charlie, of course, we're going to have a great time. I'm really looking forward to it, Charlie, and I'm really grateful for the way you just never stop. I mean, you are spreading this message in every state in the union and every college campus, you just never stop. So what what can the Thank people you. can they still get tickets for this event that we're, we're going yeah, to next weekend? Yes, there's a couple tickets remaining. Uh, TPAction.com. It's going to be legendary. Uh, super thrilled they're coming, Megan. And thank you for taking the time. I mean, Tucker is going to have a lot of set. It's a lot to say. I can't wait to hear, you know, what he has to talk about. 
Obviously, President Trump is going to let it rip. We might have some other presidential <laughs> candidates um, attend. We'll see what happens. But uh, this is going to be the largest event of its kind uh, this calendar year. We're anticipating 6,000 super activists. These are the mama bears. These are the student workers in Turning Point that are really making things happen. And so people can still get tickets at tpaction.com. Uh, if you're in South Florida, come by. We have day tickets, two-day tickets. Um, and Megan, can't wait to hear you know what you have to say um, because our audience really respects you they respect your voice and your courage um and really how you're you're calling out really the lies of our time today and so it's uh next weekend tpaction.com and it's going to be a historic event i can't wait to go i was honored that you invited me and uh it sounds like a super fun crowd there's so much to discuss charlie kirk thank you and happily thank i will you. see you very soon and to all of you watching and listening see you soon too we'll have the full rundown of what happens after i go and don't forget, go ahead and buy those tickets because um, I'd love to meet you in person if you manage to make it there. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 